Welcome to the SMC 2022 podcast. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave an invitation that changed the world. Come, follow me. Today, we have the same invitation. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're joining me. My name is Brandon Reitz, and uh, we're going to be talking about anxiety and uh, some mental health. I want you to think back to the time that you first experienced or first felt true anxiety. Now, my guess is, as I ask you that question, that question itself probably brought upon anxiety. Oh my gosh, I'm anxious about when I was first anxious. If you really think hard about it, it's probably hard to pinpoint. Most likely, you and I have been people that have experienced some form of stress and anxiety uh, till we can think back. There probably isn't a point that you're like, oh, this was the first time. Uh, there probably isn't something like that. Because the reality is, we live in a culture where people are anxious, people are worried, people are unhealthy mentally. And not about just certain things, it seems like about everything. Now, I need you to know, I want to preface this whole thing with, uh, with this. I'm not a counselor, okay? I'm not a trained therapist. Uh, I'm not going to give you answers to deep mental health issues, there are some of you that really do have mental health ish issues or maybe chemical imbalances. And for you, I think that medication is, is necessary. But I, even what I want you to know is that that medication is not going to take away your anxiety. Medication, the types of things that we can do to get somewhat healthy, just gets us to the point that we can actually rightly deal with anxiety. So I just want to say that from the front end. I'm not against medications. I'm not against any of those things. But those medications only get you to the place where you can actually deal with it correctly. Here's the other thing I want you to know. Even though I'm not a counselor or a therapist, I have read a lot. And I have studied a lot. And I know a lot of people that are anxious. And I really do desire to help. And so I'm excited to spend this time with you. I'm going to tell you what God's Word says. I'm probably not going to tell you what most counselors and therapists say. In fact, I would probably say many would disagree with what I'm about to tell you. And I'm great with that. Uh, they're kind of not at odds with me. They're at odds with, with God and what his word says. In reality, they're at odds with me, but I'm good. I'm good with that. And that's where we're going to go. Here's what you must realize, right? The, the title of this is Ammunition Against Anxiety. The ammunition in the barrel against anxiety are the truth of the scriptures, and most specifically, the promises of God that cut down the worry and anxiety that many of us struggle with. So this is where we're going to focus. Okay, I want to start by defining anxiety. I, I think there's honestly a lot of wrong or bad, uh, inaccurate definitions of anxiety out there. Here, here's the definition I came up with through a series of resources and studying. Here's what anxiety is. A lack of or complete absence of trust in God. Anxiety is a lack of or complete absence of trust in God. Here's some statistics. I just want you to realize where we are. America is the most anxious society on the planet. The average young adult, and a young adult in all the studies that I read, was 18 to 25, which consequently is your guys' age. It's college students' age, 18 to 25. The average young adult has the same levels of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Isn't that horrible? 
63% of this age group are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. Out of 14 million college students that many of these studies went through, and again, they didn't study all 14 million, but two out of three reported overwhelming anxiety in the past year. One out of four have been professionally diagnosed and or treated for anxiety. Almost nine out of 10 of you felt overwhelmed by responsibilities of college life. More young adults have died over the course of the last year or so from suicide than from COVID. And almost half, almost half of young adults experienced depression so severe they couldn't get out of bed. Here's what I want to build upon in our time together. Anxiety is a lack of or complete absence of trust in God. So here's a key point. Anxiety is always sin. Now, I know many of you just got anxious, maybe even frustrated when you heard that. Anxiety is always sin. How can he say that? What a jerk anxiety is always sin. He doesn't know what I've been through. And you're right. I I don't. I don't know what you've been through. But God does. And in the midst of him knowing all that you have gone through, all that you are going through, and just as importantly, all that you will go through, he says this, do not be anxious. Jesus commands in Matthew 6, do not worry. Three times, three times in just nine verses, he commands us to not worry. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious. It's a command. What are we not to worry about or be anxious about? The scriptures are really clear. Anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about anything. It's the same Greek word in both of these passages, Matthew 6 and Philippians 4. The Greek word is marimnaho, marimnaho. And that means to be anxious. Absolutely, that's an important word, absolutely troubled with cares or a thing. It also means to seek to promote one's interests. So this word, maramnaho, which is the word anxious or worry, is used five times in these nine verses, all in the negative or commanded against. So how is that possible? How are we commanded with all that's swirling around? How is it possible that God could command us to not worry? How is it possible that it's sin? Well, many of you, because of common cultural teaching, have never thought about anxiety being sin, right? I mean, everybody's anxious. Everyone has anxiety. That's what we commonly hear. And unfortunately, many, many of you, many, many people are anxious. But see, anxiety is being in a place that you are overly consumed with your anxiety. You are overly worried about some issue and consequently not trusting God. Your worry and anxiety has become bigger than God. He can't help. In fact, no one can. It is the absence of trust in a divinely good God, a sovereign God. So is the absence of anxiety just not caring? I mean, to not be anxious doesn't mean you just don't care. I think that's where many of us land, and that's absolutely incorrect. I want you to look at Jesus. If you know the scriptures very well, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is before his arrest, before his trial, before his execution. Jesus goes to this garden and he prays. 
and he is deeply troubled. He deeply cares. In fact, he was so troubled. He was so uh, in, in such a, a deep, troubling place that he was sweating drips of blood. So I know what some of you are thinking, ah, so he was anxious. Absolutely not. The garden is a picture of complete trust. Absolute trust in a good, sovereign, caring, and just God. He was concerned. He was troubled, but he was not anxious. And some of you may be saying, oh, well, isn't just wordplay. I mean, it says that he was troubled. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's a totally different word. In Matthew 26, 37, where we see this picture of Jesus, it's the Greek word adamaneho, adamaneho. And it means to be troubled, great distress, anguish, or full of heaviness. It's not anxious. It's to be distressed. It's to be troubled. But then that trouble was directed towards God. So to not be anxious is not a command or a process to not care. It's a command to care rightly, to trust God. I can be deeply concerned or even troubled for a friend or troubled for a situation or concerned about something. I can be broken over something or someone, but still have absolute trust in God. See, so you can be concerned for your parents' marriage, for your finances, for your friendships, for a relationship, for a broken relationship, for your grades, concerns about our country or about the world. And that can actually cause you to have greater trust in God. Or it can cause you to lose trust, to lack trust in God, and then to spiral into anxiety. I read a book by a guy named Carl Truman. And his book was called The Rise and Triumph of Modern Self. And he says, here's part of the problem is that we have redefined our terms. We have a new perspective on life. It's the difference between a mimemic and a poemic perspective. Okay, those are just fancy words for you to be impressed that I read some things. Okay, here's what he means. If you were to ask my grandfather, maybe your great-grandfather, do you find your work satisfying? First off, my grandfather would have no idea what you're talking about. He wouldn't even understand the question. But if you gave him a minute, help him understand what you were asking, he would probably say this. Well, of course, I'm able to put clothes on my family's back, a roof over their head, food on the table, give to the needy. So yes, yes, I'm I'm satisfied. He would have looked completely outward to answer this question. Does my job enable me to help those around me? Does it help me contribute to my family, friends, society, so on and so forth? When you, you or I think of this question, and I have to admit, I am, I am in the, the latter category. We immediately go inward. Do I feel satisfied? Do I enjoy my job? Am I fulfilled? Ultimately, am I happy? This is a much harder question to answer. It's very difficult to quantify. For the outward perspective, very easy to answer and quantify. Do I have food on the table? Do I have clothes on my back? Am I able to help those around me? Do I have a roof over my head? Very easy to say yes to. Many people in our society have anxiety because they are chasing quote-unquote satisfaction in a way that it wasn't supposed to be chased. How we feel about our life isn't the best indicator of whether we're satisfied. Purpose, mission, fulfillment, perseverance, commitment, keeping your word, 
those bring a true and much more lasting satisfaction. Okay, another shift that we've seen over the last several hundred years, but really specifically over the last several decades, is that therapists and counselors from my grandfather's era did their jobs different. Their job was to help people who were struggling learn how to accommodate to society. So here's how a normal person interacts with the society around them. Let me help you become more that way. The therapist would help that person learn how to function and think effectively in society. Today, it's the opposite. A counselor or therapist, or at least most, try to get society to accommodate to the person. Society is at fault. You are always the victim. So instead of taking responsibilities for a problem, we have become a people that blames anyone, in fact, everyone else other than ourselves. Now, I know that some of you have experienced horrible, horrific things that weren't your fault, and you really have been the victim. But the problem is when we take that mentality and that thought, pro- thought, thought process into all of life. So let me give you some examples. The, the reason I have bad grades is because my teacher didn't teach well enough. I hear this all the time. It's my teacher's fault that I got a bad grade. I'd be willing to bet that I could find many people in that exact same class that got good grades. Could the reason be that you got a bad grade because you were actually the problem? Or how about this one? I hear this one all the time too. Man, the reason I got a speeding ticket is because the cop was a jerk. It had nothing to do with the fact that you were going 20 miles over the speed limit. No, it was the cop's fault. See, we blame everyone else for our issues. And guess what? This causes more anxiety. It's actually more freeing. And takes away anxiety when we own up to our junk and have integrity. But this isn't new. Here's a fascinating dichotomy that took place a long time ago. Many of you have heard of Augustine or Augustine. You probably haven't heard of his counterpart, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. They both wrote books, kind of uh, self-reflection books, kind of like biographies, called Confessions. And here's what Augustine says in his book. At one point in his life, he was in a market and he stole some fruit. And he later, as he walked away from the market with this fruit, he was horrified at what he had done. And he threw the fruit into a lake. And he said this, I am such a horrible sinner, such a horrible person. I'm at fault. I can't believe I did this. And he confesses and repents. Rousseau. Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau is actually in a market with some friends And they all start talking about stealing something. I don't remember if he was challenged or dared to steal something, but he steals vegetables. So it wasn't fruit, it was a vegetable. He steals a vegetable and later was also disturbed that he would do such a thing. And as he ponders and thinks about it, here's where he lands. Society is horrible and made me this way. And he passes the blame. See, Rousseau would say that he is innately a good person and society has made him bad. And whether we know it or not, we as a society and a culture have followed the path of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. We have become a people that lacks the ability and for sure lacks the examples of taking responsibility. It's always someone else's fault. And what you would think is if it's always someone else's fault, we should have less anxiety, but the opposite is true. See, in their book, St. Augustine, Augustine, he is healed. He's made more integrated and whole as he 
owns up to his responsibility. And Rousseau, in his book, becomes more fragmented and dissolute. See, when we go inward always, when we constantly go inward, we typically blame outwards. Thus, we don't repent. We don't take responsibility. We don't trust God. And we become the victims and are caught in a cycle of anxiousness, a cycle of anxiety. This is why we see such a gigantic shift in our society, especially in the West. Carl Truman, again, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he says this. This is fascinating to me. That that which hinders my outward expression of my inward feelings, that which challenges or attempts to falsify my psychological beliefs about myself and thus to disturb my sense of inner well-being, is by definition harmful and to be rejected. And that means that traditional institutions must be transformed to conform to the psychological self. Okay, there's a ton there. We don't have time to unpack all of that. But I want you to think about how this impacts you. What Carl says is this, and he has studied what's been taking place over the last several hundred years. Currently, what we are hearing and experiencing is that anything outside of myself that challenges or attempts to tell me that my thoughts about myself might be off should be rejected. Those things are harmful and evil. Now think about this. That's what you're told. That's what I'm told. That's what our culture says. One of the purposes of the Bible is to reveal to us Jesus and convict us that our old self, our psychological self, to put in Carl's terms, is dead and corrupt. And that we have to be reborn. That we actually need to own our junk and turn to someone outside ourselves to give us truth, to make us more like Christ. But you know what that does? That challenges and falsifies my beliefs about myself. And it definitely causes a disrupt in my inner well-being. So here's the question. Those two things are at odds. Is God wrong? Are, Are the scriptures wrong? Is his word wrong? Or is the culture and current thoughts and teaching wrong? Here's where we're going to spend our time. Okay, we're going to spend our time in one section of Scripture, Matthew 6. And we're going to hear what Jesus says, what God himself says about anxiety. And if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. This is going to be kind of the heart of what we're talking through. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. You want to know how to deal with anxiety? You want to know how to get away from anxiety? Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. Okay, turn to Matthew 6. And we're going to start in verse 25. Okay, verse 25 starts with therefore. Now, anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. So we have to jump back to 19 through 24. We could jump back earlier, but just for sake of time, we're just going to start in 19. 19 through 24 are all about wealth and desire. Not storing up for yourselves treasures on earth. That the eye is the lamp of the body. That, in essence, the significance of what we look at and desire is either good or bad. If you are integrated and whole, you uh, you have undivided loyalty to God, then your eye is good. It's full of light. You're detached from material and worldly concerns. And then this is contrasted with the person whose eye is bad. They are duplicit in their thoughts in life, consumed with worldly cares and materials. Think about the people that have joy and peace about them. 
that don't struggle with anxiety. Those that come to mind for me are those that are generous, that trust God with their life and their material possessions, that are grateful, their eyes are good. To not be generous or double-minded is like living in darkness, is what the scripture says, always in a state of concern and worry about material things. These are the people that are in a constant state of anxiety. They struggle with anxiousness and mental health. See, people that trust God with their life, with their relationships, with their stuff, have this peace and light about them. And people that don't, don't. This is what it is talking about in 19 through 24. How we view what we have or don't have is either filling us with light, peace, and joy or filling us with darkness, worry, and anxiety. And just to be blunt, it is one or the other. It can't be both. Either your body is full of light or it is full of darkness. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. This is what he's leading up to. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. Verse 24, right before we get to our key kind of key section, is where he says you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one or hate the other. You can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and earthly treasure. You can't have worldly concerns be your master and also God. I want you to think about this. When you desire something, whatever takes you away from that something becomes the thing that you hate. This is so dangerous. Okay, this is what 24 is talking about. You can't have two masters. Okay, so if you love and serve sleep, then the alarm becomes your enemy, right? The alarm takes you away from what you actually love. Okay, if you love and serve food, if food is your greatest desire, then anything that takes you away from that becomes your enemy. This is why so many people hate diets. Ultimately, it's because they love food. And they're trying to create something to take them away from the thing they actually love. Okay, let me give, give you some more serious examples. Let's say you're, you love, you serve your phone, okay, social media. You're just kind of addicted to it. Then anything that takes, a, takes you away from that becomes your enemy. So if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you want to do is get on your phone to see what you missed on social media from the few hours that you slept... But you're a Christian, you're a follower of God, and so you know you should spend time with God in the morning. But what you really want to do is you want to spend some time on social media. Then guess who becomes the enemy? This is wild, but you end up hating God. That sounds so strong, but it's true. God is actually taking you away from the thing that you truly love. If you love or serve yourself, and what you really desire is all the things that make you comfortable and appear to be desirable and easy, then anything that causes to take causes you to take your focus off of self becomes what you hate. Do you see the danger here? God, the, the one that gives you peace, joy, lack of anxiety, correct thoughts, can actually become the one that you hate and thus cause anxiety. God, the one that actually can give you peace, is the thing that you run from and you become anxious. See, God who made you, sustains you, knows how to help you live a life that is full of purpose and fulfillment and good, not the way you define good, not the way I define good. His good says that our life should be focused on loving him, 
and loving people. The scriptures, God himself is all about getting your attention and your affection off of yourself and onto him. And we've already established that modern society is all about getting your attention and affection on yourself to stay focused on you. So again, we're at odds. These two ideas, these two focuses are at odds. The question is, which do you trust? One of these options gives gives you peace. You have light in your life. The other gives you anxiety, worry, and darkness. Which do you want? See, the crazy thing, we are the most self-focused culture. And maybe you guys are one of the most self-focused generations in history. And the shift has been moving this direction for a long time. The pandemic exposed this. It caused most people to go inward, to become more self-focused, and the results are staggering. Okay, so that's 19 through 24. We get to 25. Here we are, therefore. I tell you, do not worry about your life. There's the command. Do not worry. Don't worry about what? Well, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Because of the truths that we just heard, don't be anxious. Again, this word worry, anxious, is used five times in these nine verses, 25 through 34, all in the negative or commanded against. 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is trying to remind us of our value in God's sight. The birds don't worry. They don't have anxiety. They just work. They just do their bird thing, and God provides for them. The worry many people have over the material things of life is rooted in a low or a wrong or a misunderstanding of their value before God. They don't comprehend how much he loves and cares for them. This is Jesus's point. He wants us to realize that we are deeply loved by a great and generous God, that we can and should trust God. When we lose, when we lose sight of this, when we forget this, 100% of the time, it results in anxiety. Think of Jesus. He was never troubled about what he should eat or what he should drink. He was always thinking upward and outward. He was always thinking of God's will and how he could love and care for people, how he could help others. And consequently, he was the least anxious person. He never had anxiety. In history, the times in my life I am most anxious is when I am preoccupied with self. And Jesus never preoccupied with self, the most unanxious person to ever live. Isn't that fascinating? Verse 27, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Now, here's the crazy thing. This doesn't require an answer. Jesus isn't asking you to think about this. It's rhetorical. But some of us want to ponder this and really do wonder about this. Maybe I should answer this. Maybe I could. There may be greater sins than anxiety, but there are none more self-defeating and useless. Medically, we can actually harm ourselves through anxiety. Stress is one of the greatest contributors to disease and poor health. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. 
See, we are invited to know a freedom from the worry and anxiety that comes from undue concern about material things. Matthew Henry, who is a theologian, he wrote a commentary on uh, on the Bible. Um, he was robbed once. And here's how he responded. He said this, Lord, I thank you. He immediately went to prayer. And it wasn't a prayer of, of justice for those who had robbed him. It was a prayer of gratitude. Lord, I thank you that I have never been robbed before, that although they took my money, they spared my life, that although they took everything, it wasn't very much, that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. See, if I was robbed, I would probably throw a pity party and think why this happened to me, why couldn't it have happened to somebody else, how terrible this is. My wife had something like this happen once. She was trying to help a homeless person a few years ago, shortly after Christmas. And so she wanted to give him some money. She had just got a $100 bill for Christmas. And she was going to give him a $10 bill. She pulled out her money and the $100 bill was in her hand. And the guy ripped away the $100 bill and the $10 bill and ran off. And here's what my wife did. There were some people around her. She said, hey, let's pray for that guy. Honestly, he probably needs that $100 more than I did. And then she prays for him. Is that not unbelievable? Guess what? She didn't experience anxiety. She didn't experience worry. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. Verse 31. So do not worry. Again, commanded. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, those that don't know God, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then here's the clincher. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is commanding an all-inclusive first. Seek first. It's wrong to think that this is just another priority to fit into our list of priorities. You don't just put Jesus at the top, and then you kind of check him off when you're done with him for the day, and then you've got your other list of priorities. No, no, no. We seek him first in everything that we do. So Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop worrying. He tells us to replace worry with a concern for the kingdom of God. See, a habit or a passion, and some of you have a habit of anxiety. Some of you have a passion to be anxious. A habit or a passion can only be given up for a greater habit or passion. So here are some realities that we need to realize from what we just read. First, anxiety is anxiety always exaggerates the problem. This is why worry and stress are so unreasonable. They always make the problem or the issue bigger. I want you to think about something that you're anxious about. And I know some of you just got anxious thinking about what you're, what you're anxious about. Maybe it's a person that's stressing you out or a, a job or a relationship or family or a class or the country. The more you are anxious about it, what happens? Does the issue or problem shrink? No, never. The, the bigger the problem becomes and the more anxiety you experience. See, I can remember times in my life where I've been anxious about something or someone, something that happened or something that someone said. And nine out of 10 times, when I call that person, when I first, first of all pray, I go to God, and then I call that person, I either misunderstood something or the person apologizes. 
But when I sit and I stew in my anxiety and my frustration, the problem gets bigger. The person gets worse. Everything gets exaggerated. Anxiety always exaggerates the problem. Secondly, anxiety is worthless. It never fixes or shrinks a problem. To worry about something you can't change is foolish. It's useless. To worry or be anxious about something you can change is stupid. Just go change it. Worry, anxiety is worthless. It's also unnatural. No one is born an anxious person. Some of you may think you are, but no one is born an anxious person. You learned it. It's just like fear. Almost all of your fears are learned. We only have two natural fears, loud noises and falling. And the same thing is true about anxiety. You've learned your anxiety. But this is good news because anything that you learn, you can what? That's right, you can unlearn it. The way you get good at something is you practice it. And some of you have practiced anxiety a lot. You're pros at anxiety. You have your PhD in anxiety. But you can unlearn it. Here's another crazy thing. We are the only things in God's creation that has anxiety. Birds don't worry. Plants don't worry and have anxiety. We are the only things that he created that don't trust him. Ouch. But it's true. Here's what's wild. Here's another reason it's, it's worthless. Anxiety is worthless. Anxiety, worry, come from an old English word that means to strangle or to choke. So anytime you're anxious about something, you are literally strangling the life out of yourself. Anxiety is worthless. It's harmful. Anxiety is also unhelpful. Right? Matthew 6, 27. We just read it. It can't add one hour to your life. Some versions say it can't add a single hair to your head. Anxiety can't add a single inch to your height. Believe me, if it could, then I would be taller. <laughs> Rick Warren says this, the reason you mess up today is because you spend most of your emotional energy regretting the past and worrying about the future. I love that. The reason you mess up today is because you spend most of your emotional energy regretting the past and worrying about the future. Anxiety has never changed anything. Anxiety is worthless. It's unhelpful. It can't change the past. It can't control the future. Worry can only make you unhappy today. Every moment of your life you spend in anxiety is wasted. The only thing that anxiety changes is you. It makes you miserable. The last verse of this section, verse 34, says this. Therefore, do not worry. Again, it's another command. He just wants to make sure we get this. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay. Sounds great, right? That'll make sense. Yeah, anxiety is worthless. It doesn't help. It's harmful. It's, it's unhelpful. It's unnatural. All those things make sense. How do we overcome it? How do we get rid of anxiety? Worry and anxiety is focusing on your fears instead of trusting God. It's practical atheism. You're thinking it's up to you to take care of your problems. That's not in the Bible. That's not what scripture says. And it's not true. You're acting as if you don't have a heavenly father that has told you to cast your anxieties, your worries, your concerns on him because he cares for you. And he says that. If you're going to break 
the habit of anxiety in your life. You're going to have to learn how to focus on something, or more importantly, someone else. The key to overcoming worry, the key to overcoming anxiety is not saying, I'm not going to be anxious anymore. That's never going to work. It's going to take more than just your willpower to get over anxiety. Okay, so I'm going to give you four things. Here's four things, four ways you get rid of anxiety. And I got these from uh, some pastors I read, some books I read, um, and really just Matthew 6. First, you have to get to know God. Jesus says in our section, Matthew 6, 32, people don't know God, or sorry, people who don't know God, and the way he works fuss over all these things. In other words, people who don't know God, they get anxious because they don't trust God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you have every reason to be anxious. You've got to get to know God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a heavenly father who has promised to take care of you. The Bible says you are God's child. You've been adopted into his family and children get special privileges. When you're anxious, God says, you're my child. Why are you acting like an orphan? So first, you have to get to know God. Secondly, you have to put God first in every area of your life, right? This is what the end of Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says. Don't worry about having enough food or clothing. Your heavenly father already knows perfectly well that you need those. He'll give them to you. You just have to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and live the way he wants you to live. Anytime. Listen to this. Anytime you take God out of the center of your life and put anything else there, no matter how good it appears to be, you're going to be anxious. No person, no thing, no amount of money can fill that void. Everything other than God will cause anxiety. It always amazes me that most of us buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like or know. (laughs) We have to put God first in every area. I heard a pastor say this, if it's not worth praying about, it's not worth worrying about. I like that. And number three, you have to live one day at a time, right? This is what verse 34 said. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of its own problems. You have to live for today. If you're worrying about tomorrow, you can't enjoy today. You miss today's blessings. It's okay to plan for tomorrow. But you have to live for today. And if you're worried about tomorrow, you live in a constant state of anxiety because the future feels overwhelming. Again, it goes back to the unhelpful and worthless piece. None of us have been anxious about something and it's solved a problem. None of us have been anxious about something in the future and all of a sudden we have better plans because of our anxiety. You only need enough power. You only need enough peace to live for today. And God gives you that strength and that grace and that peace. And then number four, you have to trust God. Remember our three keys? Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. How do you do that? The way you trust God is what we said in point one. You have to get to know him. Create disciplines in your life that remind you of how trustworthy God is. Commit to reading your Bible daily. Commit to praying to God in all things. Commit to getting around others that love God and will help you be reminded of God's goodness. Think of how you can impact others with the truths that God is teaching you. 
Get these habits and these disciplines in your life. If you prayed as much as you worried, you'd have a lot less to worry about. If you and I prayed as much as we got anxious about things, we wouldn't be anxious. Well, what's the result? If we actually do these four things, what's the result? Philippians 4 says this, that you'll have peace. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. I want to end with this. Corey Ten Boom. Corey was a, a Dutch Christian watchmaker. Her family had a watchmaking business. And she's known for her and her family helping many, many Jewish people escape the death camps during the Holocaust of World War II by hiding them in her home. They called it The Hiding Place, which later on would be the name of her biography. And there was a movie called The Hiding Place that came out. What ended up happening is they got found out and later sent to one of the death camps that they were actually trying to save others from. And she makes this comment. She says this, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. How do you deal with the problems and difficulties in your life? Because the reality is the difficulties and problems and suffering that you and I will, not not that we may, that we will face are not the main issue. It's how we respond Will you and I trust God and allow him to train us through this? Or will we become anxious and not trust him? The choice is yours. Trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. This is the way that we can be people of peace in a culture that is spiraling more and more out of control into anxiety. Know that God loves you. And he doesn't want you to live a life characterized by anxiety. He wants you to live the way that Jesus lived, at peace with a great and generous God. It's a beautiful promise. I really hope this helped. There will be some scriptures and resources in the description below. Hey, trust God. Rejoice always. Think right. Know that God loves you. Have a good one. Live at peace with him.